First the goat must be killed and the skin straight. Heartbeats to breakbeats, skins, traps and steel, pans and wheels. Emerging voices from the global south on people's sovereignty, ethics and human rights. Speak with drum language, news, views and music. Dispatches from the corner, hoods, barrios and favelas. I met him in a cell in New Orleans, I was. The down pressure of them chains 
You see them pains from yesterday Look at my face You wanna see my face Look at my pains Was I born free? Was I born a slave? Look at my pains With the whip on your mind And your mind leads your soul astray Then you can see that today you are just some modern slaves Cause you be thinking that slavery is just from the nation place <laughs> That's the puppet master's game Can you see what I'm saying? Look at my pain my name is Tanisha Douglas and I come to this work as the daughter of someone who is serving a 30 to life sentence in a maximum security prison in New Jersey um, and as a activist, healer, social worker who's been working with young people in the system for 10 years. Um, so I'm Marlon Marlon Peterson, Brooklyn born. This is my neighborhood that we're having this conversation in. Um, so my first intersection is interesting. I'm looking at the outside the window, and I think it's the first time with me around 14, 15 or something. I'm walking actually with a friend right on Atlantic Avenue, right under the um, the Long Railroad train station. I didn't really think about the police, like you know, I was a little kid still, and I can remember the context of the conversation, what had happened right there and then. But at that point, I found it, it's like I don't trust these people. I'm not supposed to trust them. And then, like, real sort of contact with the prison complex issue, problem, um, was when I was also I found myself in prison in 1999, started a 10-year sentence. supervisor of their alternative to incarceration program. So what that means is that when a young person was arrested, they could come to us in two ways. One, through the family court system, where a probation officer would assess their risk and decide that it would be okay for them to be supervised in the community while they were still living at home and attending after school program. 
or two, if they were coming to us through the Supreme Court system, because as you know, young people in New York are can be tried as adults as young as 12 for certain for certain crimes. Most of our kids were coming to us at 16, being tried as adults. Um, the judge would decide, or an attorney would put in a referral, um, saying, you know, we, we want this young person to be supervised in the community rather being held rather than being held at Rikers or um, with the Department of Juvenile Justice and some detention facility during the pendency of their case. So at CCA we do a few things. Um, we, we support young people around their educational needs and provide advocacy for them. As folks know, the school to prison pipeline is very real, so our young people with cases are frequently being pushed out of their schools, like the young people that the schools don't care about, don't want, don't invest in. And so we did a lot of work getting folks to invest in our kids, investing in our young people's education, switching them out of schools, that kind of thing. Um, we also were responsible for community supervision, which means we had to take urine samples from them to make sure they weren't using drugs. And we had to monitor their curfew and monitor their school attendance and intervene if there were any issues in those areas. Um, we had to make sure they showed up at court. Um, we had to, and then they also came to us to attend various workshops and one-on-one -on -one sessions and that kind of thing. I mean, really, we were there to support them um, through their court process and make, make it as manageable for them and their families as it could be. It's very stressful. A lot of advocacy, a lot of advocacy work. So the program that I, uh, I was supposed to call a violence interrupter, right? So it's um, an anti-gun violence program um, that uses a public health approach to preventing gun violence. The program um, is called Care Violence, based out of Chicago. Um, it's replicated all over the country and right. all the countries, um, including Trinidad. I didn't mention I'm also by way of Trinidad. Always got to put that in there. I went to jail for a crime that revolved around gun violence. Um, so a lot of folks who were on staff were people who had a close affinity to that sort of life, mm -hmm. street activity at one point in time, and uh, they worked with folks who they considered the highest risk mm -hmm. to engage in gun violence to prevent them from shooting going to, the, to their offices, as I like to call it. And their offices are the corner store, the project hallways, the building, bodega, mm -hmm. the man crib, and all that. So that's like where you uh, where you know we would go to interact with them, just build relationships with them. Not saying the first time you interact with them, say, hey, you better not shoot. But it's like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? How you, how's your daughter doing? How's your mother doing? Um, you know, that sort of stuff. And then sort of, so that you build that relationship and trust so that when something is about to happen, you they cannot trust you enough to say for when you tell them, hold up, I don't think this is what you want to do. I know you got a son. I know you got a daughter. What about your mother? You just came home. What's your PO going to say? All that sort of stuff. Um, and then serve as a support network for them through the process where they become highest risk and lowest risk, which is, you know, getting them to the different services that they might need, education, job training, treatment, whatever it is that they need. Um, and... And it's all intersection because a lot of the folks who are uh, the participants, as we call them, are folks who got more involved in the criminal justice system as well, right? right? Mm -hmm. So it's all intersectionality. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still doing work um, at another place called the Fortune Society, primarily with folks who's coming home from prison, helping them out through that whole transition and getting them to where they would like to be uh, productively. Um, but I'm also spearheading their uh, anti-gun violence program with intersection with mental health, the trauma really that's associated with gun violence on both ends. People that's pulling a gun, the people that's being shot by it. Mm -hmm. Love the trauma that's experienced by both both of victims and who witness and who witness the communities. Right. Communities are ruptured, right? Mm -hmm. When folks are taken, removed from them, whether it's removed 
to another location or remove like the life is gone and the violence that you know children witnessing all, all that stuff that some, some parts of our community, some of our children are dealing with and for, have for generations are totally different from what you will hear this place is supposed to be about. People have to navigate inside of that somehow. And when every day there are less and less options on the table or where this designed, a space of no options is designed for them, then it's like, actually people are doing things that make sense. You know, I really appreciate these concepts of, you know, the issue of wellness, of, of dealing with this stuff as public health. Health in a, in a body is mostly about balance. In a community, it's mostly about balance. Justice is actually supposed to mean the health of a community. Balanced responses to what's, going, what's actually going on in people's lives. One of the things that we that I've always done with young people, no matter where I've worked with them, um, and that we definitely did at the Center for Community Alternatives, is we had workshops with young people about the prison industrial complex, about knowing their rights, about the history of movements. When I first came on to the agency um, for Black History Month, we had young people writing letters to political prisoners, learning about who are political prisoners, why are they in prison, what does it mean to be a political prisoner, what are the stories of some folks um, that you may find part of, and why is it important to stay in communication with them what can you learn from them. And so absolutely, you know, helping to build young people around their, their skill, around their political awareness. And then also helping young people to, to just develop their critical thinking skills. Look at the world around you. Let's look at our neighborhoods. Let's see what's going on. What's different about our neighborhoods versus other people's neighborhoods? And our young people know this, right? But it's about helping them understand that what they know and the knowledge that they have and the experiences they have, that they have are actually valuable, that they're actually worth something. And really giving them the opportunity to be experts of their own experience, experts of their community experience, because what we well know is that our young people, especially our kids in the criminal justice system, are not getting treated as experts of anything, right? Um, they're really being seen as delinquents, potheads, losers, failing students. They're all of that. Um, right, or, or at best, at best, they are, um, they are victims.
And while this is happening, it's such a funny thing because they're also building up an incredible, incredible reserve of strength and power and resilience yeah. Yeah. in this process, right? So they're they're able, they're they're they have the incredible ability to survive and withstand an incredible amount. Haitians are resilient, right? Haiti's resilient. That's what we get. So you know, that's like the strong. You know, Haiti's a strong black woman. You know what I mean? Resilient than a motherfucker, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, but I, I really like strength and power, and I unite. Participants in that reading was Casey Langer. Mm -hmm. Actually, I sort of met Casey, a good friend of mine, uh, through the work I did inside the prison. And we came home and we sort of interacted and worked with young people from Brooklyn, taking them up to his school or taking you up. He was writing one of his uh, books, um, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. And he reached out to me and a couple other brothers, Michael Smith and um, Donnell, Kai, um, some other folks uh, who were also writers. Particularly as black men and masculinity, and we always struggle with that, and we have these warped senses of what that is. We're conditioned to be with certain things. In many ways, it sort of suffocates us because we like in this vibe of what we're supposed to be like. Um, so we wrote about some of those things in real personal things, what's called echoes. We sort of like echoing each other's the same experiences as black men from different places, different orientations, and whatnot. And the whole concept of brothers writing to live is to communicate to other folks, our people in general, black men, black women, the importance of expressing vulnerability. Paralleling back to the same experience with the kids that I was writing two years ago, where these kids were probably, in many cases, more advanced than I was. Mm -hmm. I always feel like that experience was reciprocal. I probably got more out of it than they did in many cases mm -hmm. because they were very vulnerable with me as, as very young people. 11, 12 year old kids. They were very vulnerable through paper about things that they probably didn't feel comfortable articulating. Or they didn't even understand what was happening, but they just needed to throw it on paper mm -hmm. and tell somebody about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're sort of like replicating that same process as adults. That even though we may have some sort of measure of success in terms of whatever we're doing in our careers or what have you, we still got issues and we're still fallible and we're still working on them. I think it's important for people to see that, like, to understand that a lot comes before you see a finished product. And the fact that many of us are not finished products, we're still just working, 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 mm -hmm. struggling, and we're figuring this stuff out as we go along. Um, so when they see that process a lot, all the stuff that's messy too, like messy stuff, <laughs> that this is all the messy stuff that we're all kind of dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and the contradictions we're dealing with. Right, too. here's my ugly. 
It's my, it's my ugliness. See, now you know what it feels like to be broke and alone, homeless and cold, with nowhere to go. This gun, the only friend that I know. Roll out, roll out. When the food and the money and the lights gone out, get out, get out. Ain't no way to run when the guns come out. Roll out, roll out. When the food and the money and the lights gone out, get out, get out. Ain't no way to run when you're broke. to drum language. your shortcomings and you feel like running away. You can't even say nothing. You're so tired of struggling. You're facing your shortcomings and you feel like running away. Rise from the misery. The past is history. Are you living in reality? You're living a mystery. Rise from the misery. The past is history. If you stand for truths and rights, then you're rolling with me.
toute maman si est de l'eau l'anger bras l'en grand bois bois couler café m'a jeté de l'eau pour tout sang qui coulait j'ai qui riche pas jamais moi j'ai qui pauvre chaque coucou clairé c'est gouvernement ça ça fait droite et gauche ça environnement ça qui fait peuple la ville les rabots c'est corruption ça gâter manger ça c'est vieux système ça qui fait peuple la ville les rabots ça fait moun pas ça c'est propagande ça c'est coup d'état ça qui fait peuple la ville les rabots chien manger chien ça moun en haut moun en bas ça c'est tremblement ça qui fait peuple la ville les rabots 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 qui fait peuple la ville Tanisha, this strikes me as related to this idea of supporting our young people in being able to sit with the complexities of their experiences, to language them and to say, like, yes, feel all that. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, let me say this. I think that it really starts with self. You know, we have a lot of social workers, counselors, mentors out there working with our young people who are incredibly wounded. If we ourselves can't achieve balance or aren't working towards achieving balance or understanding our wounds, understanding our understanding our own ugliness, right? What it looks like, what it feels like, how it comes out, then it, it becomes very, frankly, dangerous for me and unethical for folks to be working with our young people or any people who are struggling in pain, who are, who are responsible for their care um, and their process. a group of folks who were trying to do some things and they were one of the first groups that like the RICO laws were applied to by when Giuliani was the DA. So um, we moved back to Evanston in, in 84 because there was things happening. It turned out that we had all been like under surveillance for like a couple years. Um, about a month after we got back to the shy raid they came and took him out. And they, this was like a synchronized thing happened the same day happened out here in Brooklyn and in Harlem. And, um, now, he wasn't actually indicted, um, but he did nine months because he was a grand jury resistor. Um, and any day, one day is real. One day, one night, 
But it's not just real for the individual, it's real for the community because that experience has left scars. You know, I mean, that experience ruptures things. Some things, you know, you don't know that they're gonna come. I felt that at least our discussion demanded that here. I grew up since the age of two without my father in my life. And it was always a big secret. Nobody knew what it was about. We weren't allowed to ask what it was about. We weren't allowed to tell anybody what it was about. We were just, we just go up there and get patted down and sniff by dogs and see him and go home and that was it. Um, and so for me, you know, that it left an indelible mark of pain on me. The shame, right, that I walked around with and carried was very, it was just very real growing up in my adolescence. And I came out as someone who was a daughter of someone who was incarcerated in my 20s. And so only then began working on the, the impact of that pain on me. Um, and so, so I want to say, I want to speak to that because I think, you know, I can speak about the young people. Um, and that's really safe and really easy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also really important for me to speak about myself um, and uh, the perspective that I'm coming from um, and the woundedness that I'm coming from in doing the work. And the way that that woundedness is triggered, touched, opened up, it's painful work to be in. But, I mean, in this, all this sort of work, you also are able to build mm -hmm. these sort of bonds with folks. Who care about the same thing, don't know each other from a hole in the wall, right, right. but it's still the same thing like how I met you. Exactly, the work is how we meet each other, and, and I think there's hope in that, right? All the stuff that you know, it's been sort of like you know, we got a lot of issues out here, yeah, on the negative spectrum, but the sort of bonds and relationships and support mechanisms that we become for each other through this work, I think that's the sort of hope in itself because we've all come from very hard places or experiences. Um, but we always did. we're able to somehow find each other. And the bonds are deep because the work is deep. Yeah. And the love, and I love mean, when I started to understand um, this work as like light work, as like love of work of love, love, work, love it work. really yeah. is love. It really no comes from a deep to. place in the heart of this and the spirit. No question. I, it really transformed the way I started doing my work and understanding how much I really love my people. Um, and see them as a reflection of myself. Um, you know, that Ubuntu sort of yeah, way yeah. of working. Um, it's, it's, there's a deep love, a deep, deep love in the work that you do.
Now attuned to drum language. I like this part of the show. So we break it all the way down to how it all started. Alright, let me do it. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one person front my face on a front page. Only if I had one gun. One god to show me how to do things to sun.